Hello and welcome to another episode of the Third Space Podcast. This is Bennett, bringing you episode 28, Geographical Delusion. It's an interesting title. Well, it's uh, two words, and in this podcast we cover two topics. Uh, the first one, we bring back a segment that I love, Daniel Hates, called Daniel Does Science, where basically I'm just making fun of Daniel because he doesn't know very much about science. Uh, and this time I'm especially mean, and I pick a subject that I know he is very bad at, uh, geography. So I've got some geography questions for him, and we see how well or how poorly he does. Um, so that that's pretty funny uh, to just kind of laugh at him. Um, but he can laugh at himself, too, so that's fine. Uh, and then uh, after that, we launch into a discussion about the utility of self-delusion. Kind of an interesting topic, uh, whether it's ever useful essentially to lie to yourself uh, and to live in your own little world, you know, away from reality. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I have not really thought about that much before, so we, we have that discussion. Another thing to note about this podcast episode is that because it was a beautiful spring day today, I did a walkabout podcast. So I had my lapel mic and mobile microphone and was walking outside around the lake, which means that there's some ambient noise here and there throughout the podcast. Uh, I did some audio filtering to get the worst of the wind out, but there are a few places where it's still kind of windy. So I uh, hope you'll forgive the audio. Sometimes you can hear some birds chirping and some dog leashes and some people chatting. So, you know, it, there's a little bit of ambient noise. Uh, I don't think it's too terribly distracting. Um, you can usually hear my voice pretty clearly through it. Uh, but I will also say this, since I'm in the introduction, this is the appropriate place for it. If you listen to this podcast and you absolutely hate hearing these distracting noises, the ambient noises, the wind and the chirps and frogs and ducks and whatnot, wildlife. If you if you really hate that, then let us know. Um, you can always get in touch with us at mail.thirdspace at gmail.com. Uh, we don't really get that much feedback, so we just kind of do whatever we want. Uh, I kind of like doing that anyway. Um, but if you absolutely hate it, let us know, and maybe I will try to uh, mitigate the noise a little bit more, or I guess maybe just not do it. I don't know. But if you, if you hate it, let us know. If you don't mind, also let us know. That would be nice. Um, but anyway, that's it. It's a walkabout podcast this time. We, we weren't befouled by audio settings on the mic or faulty wires or anything, so the full conversation came through very well. So without further ado, I will let the episode begin. I hope you enjoy episode 28, Geographical Delusion. Bennett, hello. Hello, Daniel. Welcome to Third Space. It's my space. It's your space. It's your space. It's, it's our space. Uh, third Space. It's, mm. <laughs> well, we, we managed. We got through that one. All right. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> How are you doing? It's getting better. This uh, fine weekend. Well, I don't know if you could tell my voice is uh, it's kind of rich and buttery smooth, even Deep a little and, yeah, better you're a little than, manlier you know, than normal. A little manlier than normal. You're usually yeah. pretty effeminate, but this time I say I'm usually very manly, and now I'm extraordinarily manly. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah. that's another way to know. look at it. I don't know if it's the the beginnings of a cold uh, or whatever. Um, you know. I am fully vaccinated, so it seems unlikely that uh, I have COVID or something. <laughs> but 
I just, uh, I have like, I don't know, like I woke up with a sort of a dry throat and that sort of associated, uh, do you have that when you have like a dry throat, maybe the sniffles and your voice will go down and not, not just a nasally thing, but actually like your voice will be down an octave or so, I don't know. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm, uh, as you can tell, I'm doing a walkabout. Uh, I like it. <laughs> this time, so it's windy and you have neighbors uh, outside that we're talking, so. I like it. It makes it authentic and raw and real. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but the conversation will probably, probably be loud enough to overhear. I certainly hope so. So yeah, you're you're asking me when I wake up in the morning and have a dry throat. Does it make my voice get more, uh, more manly? <laughs> I mean, why? Okay, I, usually when a sickness is associated with a, or 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 a cold, you get nasally, and I think that that's true even right now. But it, but it also gets deeper, and I don't understand that part. So you're asking why that happens, maybe? Yeah, or is that just a perception that I'm really just more nasally, and so it appears deeper? But no, I think it's like getting it's just a little deeper right now. Um, yeah, I mean, it. I think it act. It actually is a little bit deeper, or. Maybe it's just a frequency shift. So, you know, if you have nasal congestion, then the sound that you produce, it can't resonate as much. Like your, na- your nasal cavity, your sinuses, there's actually a lot of air in there. There's a lot of space inside of your head and your voice reverberates <laughs> inside of that space and it changes the timbre of your voice. Um, and so when you're congested, all that stuff is, all that space is filled with mucus and the sound doesn't reverberate in the same way so it actually sounds different and probably it probably attenuates the higher frequencies of your voice and you know that contributes to it sounding overall just a little bit more muted so you're saying our voice like has to do with like cavernous sinus oh absolutely and so you put you throw mucus and stuff and it's going to echo differently (laughs) yeah that's exactly right yeah definitely and I mean, okay. there's there's Science. another component of it as well, like your vocal cords. Um, you know, the the way that they vibrate. You know, I could see that potentially changing as well if you're very congested or if you're dehydrated or you know your body's balance is off. I could see that affecting your vocal cords as well. Well, what about what about puberty? Why does your voice? I mean, I what do what did like testicles and voice have having like what's the what's <laughs> you if, you get, if you get if you get kicked voice. in your testicles then your voice goes up like this yes yeah. <laughs> at least that's the classic so that's uh, thing. that's the link you're looking for there i think yeah <laughs> or when you when you when they drop and you hit puberty they drop and you go hello or whatever <laughs> but i guess i've never we, we all accept you know voice deepens uh for males anyway a lot uh, I guess for females too it changes to some degree it's just okay why I always have just gone yeah well that makes sense just because I see it happen a lot but I've never thought why does puberty make vocal cords change or is it vocal cords not changing it's something else well your voice is purely physiological like it's the your voice is a physical engineering reaction to the vibration of your vocal cords and the resonance inside your head and and uh your upper respiratory system so like your voice is purely determined by the shape and structure of your body um and of course when you go through puberty your hormones are signaling your body to change and it does change you know the shape and form of your body changes significantly and so it makes sense that your voice would change as well 
I mean, yeah. if you're asking specifically, like, you know, does your larynx expand and does your your vocal cords, you know, get thicker or whatever? Maybe I don't know that for sure. I mean, it seems like it seems plausible. Um, and is my link to the testicles? That wasn't entirely a joke. Is there something there? Yeah, I mean, there is something. I mean, your testicles are sex organs and contribute to, you know, your hormone balance for boys, obviously. Yeah. And that is what is what affects puberty. That's why, you know, um, eunuchs of the past, you know, castrated men, uh, they would have them in choirs, right? They would right, castrate them. them what, and, uh, castrados yeah, or something? Yeah, castrados, right. And that their voice wouldn't deepen because uh, because of that. So. Which is really twisted. In order to oh. maintain that beautiful angelic voice, we will castrate you. I mean, that was that was the sacrifice you made <laughs> so you could sing. Right. I mean, right. Woo. <laughs> yeah, really strange phenomenon when people will destroy their bodies to you know, fit that kind of role. Really interesting. But I mean, do they do people destroy their bodies frequently to fit roles or, or engage in a talent? I mean, but it sounds different to say, oh, I work out a lot in order to be an athlete or something, and that's in some ways modifying your body. But it just doesn't sound like destroying, you know? Right, know. right. Well, yeah, it's hard to it's hard for me anyway to fashion castration in any any way other than destruction, right? Like I don't see yeah. how that could be beneficial unless you had, you know, like a cancer or something. Uh, right. And even then, it's still destruction. It's just less destruction than it otherwise would be. I mean, it's essentially like an amputation. Yeah. Like, you don't want to do this, but it's better. It's the best of, of the alternatives. Getting my voice amputated. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I want to uh, kick off this podcast with a segment we haven't done in a long time, and you're going to hate me for it. Mm. Uh, but it is Daniel Does Science. Uh and yeah. I, I know that you're in a real good spot to do some science. <laughs> well, we've been talking science. I'm all warmed up. But, like, right. uh, I'll just, I, you know, uh, obviously I'm, I, I, I kind of like it, but I do not like being so vulnerable as to be exposed of my naivety. Like, this is, like, admittedly, there are just giant gaps. Like, the way I approached education in high school, and that's pretty much where my scientific education ended, um, like, it was just a task to be memorized and flash memorized for a test. I didn't see, I didn't make real world applications. I just didn't care. It was just get, get an A and move on. And so, yeah, my scientific understanding of the world is uh, lacking. Although I would say that I am a reasonably logical person. So I make connect. So I'm an interesting person to ask scientific questions because I'm not going to know the answers, but like I can sort of think through it. That's right. That's why, that's why I like Daniel does science because you, you have this interesting mix of hilarious ignorance that I laugh at and <laughs> and some insightful connections that you draw. And, you know, there have been times in the past when we've done this and you figured something out. And it's kind of like, oh, that's, that's nice. That's impressive. I'm nervous, though. All of this. Let's just get into it. I'm well, nervous. Like, I can feel my heart elevate. Like, uh, well, let's do I, it. <laughs> it's, we're going to make it even worse because this time the subcategory is your specialty, geography. Oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm really freaking out. Okay. So this one is going to be exceptional. But, but you know, I've laid a lot on you. I'm going to try to make it as easy 
as I can and give you the best. That one I'm even more self-conscious about because that makes me sound like, okay, science, it's like, all right, you didn't memorize some basic scientific principles, but geography some, gets really closely linked to you are an ignorant jackass who doesn't care about <laughs> others and you're so narcissistic and you're egocentric and the world, you know, uh, you know, all of that, like, ugh, and it fits and it falls into that stereotype of the of the ignorant American and uh, just, oh, so I'm very worked up right now. Thank you for this. Well, I'm going to try to make it as easy as I can. Uh, and the structure that I'm going to do is here, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give you two places and I'm going to ask you, do they touch? So do they border each other? So wait, is this that's just pure geography. That's not even science. Geography is science. Well, I guess that was dumb to say. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right. Sure. It's not a hard science like physics or, you know, uh, biology or math or whatever. So, I'm going to be honest. It's so tempting to try to pull up the computer don't, and try, don't cheat. but I'm not going, I'm not going don't to cheat. Don't cheat. So, so the way I've done this, it's only two things, and it's do they touch, yes or no. So oh my you have gosh, a 50, I hate you so much right you, now. <laughs> you have a 50-50 chance. You have a 50-50 chance okay. no matter what, you know, just randomly going into it. You ought to get, you know, half of these right. All so, right. I'm going to do as little reasoning aloud, so <laughs> I know you'd want me to, but you I don't can, want to. <laughs> you can, maybe. All right, but we'll, we'll start close close to home, sort of. We'll start with some U.S. states. So okay. How about uh, Kentucky and Tennessee? Do they touch? Well, they're near each other, for sure. Um, hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. You're right. Yes, they do touch. Uh, I mean, look. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like, I, I felt more than 50% saying yes. Like, I felt like yes is going to be my answer. It wasn't a total, total guess. But, like, man. Okay. Let's keep going. Vermont and New York. Uh, no. Wrong. They do touch. Uh. They're right next to each other. Yeah, the, the New England states... Uh, those are tough. I don't I think mean, about no, that. I mean, no, yeah, up, up in the northeast. Look at me, northeast. Um, nice. Like, I I just figured you were setting me up for, a, like, yeah, they're near each other, but they're not. So that's what. Missouri and Arkansas. <sighs> um, I'm going to say yes. You're right. They do touch. Okay. Iowa and Wyoming. Uh, see, we're getting into sort of mid, uh, man, I don't want to say yes, because there's been a lot of yeses so far, but I'm going to just say yes. No, they're not, uh, they're pretty far, they're pretty far from pretty each funny. other. Like, it's a pretty That's funny a pretty answer. funny one to mess up. Okay. <laughs> Iowa is like a Midwest, you know, state smack in the middle, and Wyoming is, you know, in the mountains and Yellowstone and all that. Flyover country, like, yeah. Well, they're both... Flyover country. Tiny. That's the point. That's the, they're off. You're right. <laughs> <They're in there. laughs> All right. Uh, South Dakota and Kansas. Uh, Bennett. Um, no. You're right. They're, they don't touch. <laughs> that was a guess. I could tell that was a guess. Because the hesitation. I don't even know why I'm hesitating. Like just like as if I'm going to uh, conjure up something <laughs> that's going to inform me better. <laughs> Yeah, those are right in the middle. Nebraska's in between them. Uh, we've been to Kansas and Nebraska, I think. 
Fun fact, Briefly. I often ask David where I have been. <laughs> right. Like, it's sort of like, oh, have I been there? <laughs> um, let's say, uh, let's do Arkansas and Kansas. Arkansas and Kansas. No. You're right. They don't touch. Huh. Surprised you got that one. I think it was just somewhere along when I was a kid studying the states. Like, I, it, you know, you see Arkansas and you're like, oh, they don't even, they're not even right next to each other. So, huh. Yeah, Arkansas is a is a weird state name. It's one of my least favorite state names, just because Arkansas and it's spelled like Arkansas, and like your Kansas is there too. Like, what are you? What's your game? What here? is Ar- What is Arkansas like? What are they doing? Like, what do they have to offer? <laughs> like, what's a what are they known for? Uh, like their barbecue sauce or something? Like, I don't, I don't you think know, so. I don't I don't know very much about Arkansas. That Ozark Mountains are in Arkansas. Bill Clinton, I think, was from Arkansas. Yeah, that's about he's, it. That's he's a governor. I don't. That, yeah, I think that's right. That's as much as I know about Arkansas. So. I mean, it has sort of a reputation for being like having some southern uh, culture, but not. It's not from the south kind of thing right, right. in the way that. Anyway. Um, all right. So, what about Florida and Georgia? Yeah, I can confidently say they touch. No, that Georgia is a country. Uh, near Russia and Turkey, <laughs> and Florida is the United States state. So, okay. you got that one wrong. What about uh, Florida and Alabama? Uh, yeah, they do, because of the panhandle up there. Yeah, you're right. What about Florida and Louisiana? Um, this feels like a trick question. I'm going to say no, and you're going to tell me, actually, there's some small little spot where they touch. Actually, I'm no. actually they do not. they do not touch. Yeah. Okay. It's but that little spot, um, Florida touches uh, Alabama over there. It doesn't quite make it to Mississippi, and then Louisiana's right next to it. Okay. All right. What about Saskatchewan and Nova Scotia? No. Do you, do you know where either of those places are? We don't have to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. They don't touch. But they sounded. Of different, <laughs> like they're, they ca- they're Canadian. They're ca- both Canadian provinces. So. Oh. <laughs> uh, what about Mexico and Venezuela? No. Yes, you're right. They don't touch. All right, they're I'm in, doing well. They're in separate continents. Internationally, separate continents. Even. Uh, what about Uruguay and uh, Tanzania? I'm gonna say yeah. They do. <laughs> no, they don't. No. Okay. Uruguay is in South America and Tanzania is in Africa, so that one's pretty pretty far. That might be the greatest miss in terms of mileage that we have this time. <laughs> what about uh, Spain and Germany? Um, you know, I could actually point those out on a map. So. So then you would. So you obviously know the answer. So I should be very good at this, yeah. but but. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You knew that one. I mean, I could tell confidence in your voice when you said that. I, one. 
like it's interesting that the real question is when I'm taking these pauses and I'm, and I'm really not cheating. Um, like I'm thinking, but but to ask me exactly what I'm thinking <laughs> would be <laughs> tough. It, I, I imagine <laughs> your thoughts are more along the lines of, all right, how many no's have we had? How many yeses there's, yeah, in a row? There's, there's like, gamifying. Yeah, he's right. trying to play Bennett more right. than what would to... Bennett be trying to trap me with here? I also have. Um, it's like. I've been to Europe in that area, and so I'm vaguely <laughs> thinking of, like, Italy's boot, you right, know? Right, sure, sure. And yeah. I'm like, um... <laughs> like, it's not a very... Well, uh, this is this is kind of how I feel. Like, if you... I'm going to be bold here, but, like, dumb people, how do they, like, think about things and make decisions? I, you really are giving me a good feeling of what, what it's, it's like, like to, to be dumb. truly not... Yeah, to be dumb where you're, like, you're not equipped with the tools to examine you know to to like make progress through your thoughts to give a more informed answer but yet you want to try you want to try something with your thoughts and you just don't really know so it's just this smattering of how many yeses and nos have we given and uh, just the haziest of visualizations of maps and things right right well there's also the difficulty because even though you've been to europe Going to Europe means nothing when it comes to analyzing what countries border other countries because, you know, a map is an abstraction, basically. Right. Like, we don't ever see things in the real world in terms of maps. Quick aside, should I, should I like, I'm, I want to defend myself and blame the education system go and ahead. maybe, like, yeah, like, you know. Teachers well, suck, just broadly speaking. All teachers are bad, right? <laughs> yeah, broadly speaking. Generally, that's just true. No, I I want to blame others, but obviously I can't. Like, here's the like I can't because at some point I could just say this is embarrassing. I have the tools to uh, rid myself of this embarrassment, and I haven't. So I've just decided that like the utility in like identifying on a map doesn't sound like it's going to help me grow as a person. It's hard to know like what's the usefulness in this other than appearing less ignorant. It would totally be investing in appearances to me. And like, like, so that was, it's just difficult to get the activation energy needed to just go, all right. And I crack my knuckles and I like Google, like what world map quizlet like, or something. And you just quiz yourself. I, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, I think you, you give yourself too hard of a time. Um, like, for most people, most of the time, knowing the location of countries and whether they touch, especially on the other side of the world, is totally irrelevant. And, like, you mentioned earlier that, you know, there's a, the stereotype of, like, the self-centered American who doesn't know anything about the world. There's nothing wrong with that because most Americans don't have to think about the rest of the world most of the time, you know? Like the most important things around you are the things that are immediately around you. The rest of the world is uh, in almost all seconds of every minute of our life irrelevant. So if you're a practical person who has, you know, goals that are right in front of you, then you don't need to know where Azerbaijan is. I, I agree. I guess the suggestion, there's this weird link people make between the locate, knowing the location and like understanding humanity and culture and stuff because I think I think the implication is when you don't know where it's at on a map you and this is fair if you don't even know where it's at on a map then how do I like how do I possibly know anything about the culture is, is the link and saying you were just not interested in other 
people or or like what's going on in the world it just has this selfish connotation so, yeah so i mean um, you're you're right that is the connotation and a lot of people you know try to get on their moral high horse about that but the fact of the matter is or i guess the opinion of the matter is in my opinion <laughs> that you shouldn't care that much about most of the cultures in the world because they have nothing to do with you and you'll never come into contact with them they'll never come into contact with you you won't interact they'll go about their way you'll go about your way and like you know you're trying to pay your bills and make your next meal and teach your class why do you care about you know the culture in slovenia or something no i mean there's look our culture alone just our culture or our language is so complex and difficult to navigate as it is you'll never be an expert uh in all cultures in, or in one culture even so much less try to you know but so even our i think under under if you're in one culture and you learn about another culture i mean it's just going to be very limited without spending significant time in that culture and sort of gain a deeper understanding it's like you you'll hear things like oh they take their shoes off there and you try to extrapolate meaning from that in a very simple way that may or may not be accurate and like you know they take their shoes off in the home inside the home every time or whatever the culture thing may be i don't know i'm right. just saying like we, we it's like we're toddlers studying it and trying to go what what can i what can i uh what tangible things can I identify when I, I believe probably there's a lot of like beliefs that are not quite as uh, tangible that you'd have to you're right, you know, you're right. sort of like familial versus uh, so individualistic and stuff like that. We could be charitable to, to you in this way and say that you know, if, if you were given the opportunity to know, so if you could prioritize which cultures of the world you were most familiar with and you could only pick like, you know, the small number, what would be at the very top of the list? What would be the number one culture you would want to be absolutely most intimately familiar with? Um, I mean, I guess I'm going to just say, I don't know if you mean like Western culture or like <clears throat> Southern culture in the uh, United we'll, we'll States. We'll just talk, we'll limit it to countries. Well, United States. Right, exactly. It's going to be the one that you're a part of. And yeah. you could hardly fault anyone for choosing the, the place that they live, the culture that they interact with every day as their culture of focus. Uh, right. It should be. If it's not, then what? It, yeah, if <laughs> it's not, then what are you doing? Now, that's, yeah, not to say, <laughs> that's not to say that you can't learn things from other cultures. You certainly can. But you can learn things, you know, without being exposed to other cultures as well. And like, I don't think there's much elevation to gain on your moral high ground by saying, oh, you're an uncultured, you know, self-centered fool who only knows about your own country. Like, I think that's probably a bridge too far. Yeah, fair. All right. Well, now I feel better. Let's let's Good, time to kind Good, time to ruin your confidence now. <laughs> All right, uh, Greece and Turkey. Uh, those, those, are, those are touching. Yes, you're right. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I hear, I hear, well, I shouldn't, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, they're mentioned so frequently together, and and they've been whether it's conflict or whatever. I don't know. So, well, and because yeah. of food, they sound, you know, Greece and Turkey, like <laughs> Greece, Greece uh, and Turkey, Norway and Sweden. 
well, they just seem, you know, like they're pals sharing some culture. So maybe they share a border. Um, so, yes. Yeah, you got that one right, too. What about uh, Egypt and Israel? Um, y- yeah, uh, wait, no, uh, no, no. Yes, they do touch. Dang. <laughs> Man. Mess that one up. What about uh, Papua New Guinea and Nigeria? No. You're right. That's, they're very, very far <laughs> apart. One is, a, is half of an island near Australia, and the other one is in Africa. So, uh, What about Iraq and Iran? Um, I'm going to say no, although they're, they're close. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They share a border. Dang it. (laughs) Man. What about, uh, Indonesia and China? I mean, I think so. Yeah. Uh, no, they don't. Indonesia is an island chain in China. You know what China is? (laughs) <laughs> well, maybe I should explain it. China's a big Asian country. <laughs> um, all right, uh, two more. What about Russia and North Korea? No. You're right. Yes, they don't touch. Okay. <laughs> what about, all right, last one. What about Lesotho and South Africa? Um, wait, <laughs> that, that, it sounds like it could be a trick question, but I'm going to say no. Uh they are perhaps the most bordering countries in the world because Lesotho is completely encapsulated by South Africa. But it's its own... Yeah, it's its own country, so that's kind of weird. It's, it's what's called but, an enclaved country. Is it, uh, is it the only enclaved country? Um, there are a couple of other places Enclave. that are enclaved. Uh, they're not really countries. Maybe they're like weird little city states i think there's another one called uh that's what it sounds like disagreements or something and they said fine and sort of yeah probably something like that yeah there's one in europe i think called san something or other and then you know the the uh um the one in italy as well so there are a few but they're little city state type things lesotho is a little bigger but yeah it's just weird because it's totally inside of south africa Lesotho. So you didn't do too bad. Uh, well, you probably hovered right around that fifty-fifty mark, maybe a little better. Well, if that's if that's the case, then like, you know, me and random guessing are about <laughs> about <laughs> right competitive when it comes to geography. Well, you're a scientist. You're a regular old scientist now. <laughs> I'm a scientist. Daniel does science. Daniel, Daniel did science. Edition. I did it. I did it. I did it. <laughs> um, well, thanks for that like uh, uh, reorientation of my of my self-perception. Right. Um, <clears throat> speaking of which, um, I, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me let me build to it for a second. Okay. I think I'm going to make a hypothesis that that like Generally speaking, it is good to accurately self-evaluate. So to know how successful you are in a domain, 
whether it's socially, professionally, uh, relationally, whatever, like you want to know what your strengths and your weaknesses are. And it's good to know those things, whether it's to improve on the weakness or to maybe even avoid to some degree the weakness or to exercise the strengths. Like, would you say that's a very agreeable thing to say? Yes, that seems, yeah, I would say that's very, very agreeable. And I also tend to like, just, it's a pretty core philosophy to me as well. So well, and I also think, by the way, that oftentimes we do this thing professionally specifically where they're like, identify your weakness and then improve upon it, right? So like we we don't want to be bad at things, so identify it and put your energies toward improving, which I'm not sure is a great way to think about it because shouldn't we play to our strengths if we have natural gifts and talents? Like, shouldn't we where do you want to spend your energy like to me it makes sense to exercise your strengths i'm not saying completely ignore your weakness but if your weakness is not something you like why put your energy frequently into making yourself going from terrible to kind of bad with tons of your energy now imagine you can go from really good to great um in an area like so i would rather level up from really good to great than terrible to kind of bad and like it would be more fulfilling rewarding it's a strength usually your strengths give you joy because you're experiencing success so have you ever thought about that no i haven't um I do you see what i'm saying though I, I, like, it seems I see what you're saying but identify your weakness and improve upon it it's like well maybe yeah maybe i mean i think it's uh you know it depends on the circumstances um and i guess you would have to evaluate whether spending time on your weakness is a waste of time or is it useful Does it build character in a way that you can, you know, transfer it to other areas of your life. I mean, I suppose too, there's almost like if your weakness must be utilized frequently yeah. at work. So you're bad at writing emails and you, you tick people off with your tone or something right. and everyone's like, man, you're too serious and you have to write emails daily. Then, then I'd say that's a weakness you need to engage in and right. improve upon. Right, but um, if you're a software engineer, say, and you have a weakness for public speaking, then, well, you almost never have to exercise that skill. And so, you know, if you devoted uh, an excessive amount of time to improving that weakness, it would kind of be wasted effort. When you right, could, you, have, you have two meetings a year where you have to go in and present a project, and you're not really that great at it. Like right. how but you're, you're good at producing the work for it. You're just not good at the presentation component. And they've, they've given you feedback like, hey, your presentation skills, you know, you kind of don't project, your shoulders are slumped, whatever. Right. Like, like, and you, so you spend a lot of energy to get better at that. And it makes you anxious because you know you're not that great at it, whatever. Like, that just seems like not a good idea. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the more appropriate thing to do, you know, from like if you if you were a manager and you had an employee like that, like you might, you might give them some quick tips or something, but like if they're just bad at it, but they're a star programmer, then what I would do is I would say, okay, we're going to put you in the back and let you program all day. And you know, well, you tell us how it works and we'll have someone else present it. That's what I would do. Like it would be more the play to your strengths type approach. I mean, that just seems generally smarter. You want, Ideally, you're running a you would run a business of some sort that has a bunch of employees exercising their strengths and and having successes versus belaboring the point of of their shortcomings and you know kind of being miserable and making slow gains in that. So let me also try to 
push back in a different way. So let's, we can both acknowledge that, you know, our lives are fairly long. You know, we live to be, you know, 80 years old and with recent, recent advances in medical technology, we can expect to live even longer than that, even like, you know, 85 or 90 years yeah. old. So, yeah. you know, if we're going to live lives that are 100 years long, then that's a lot of time to put in. You could conceivably have 110 years to develop your skills, earn <laughs> 20 years, years, 130 years even, yeah. to become a well-rounded human being. Um, what are you going to do with those 140 years? I don't know. I don't 150 know. years is a long time to spend. So, um, God. it's not even a funny joke. <laughs> that's what's funny about it. So, stop that. Stop and stop criticizing my jokes. Um, but anyway, my point, my real point is that, uh, isn't it, might it be best to target, you know, when you're 80, to be a well rounded human being with no significant weaknesses? There's nothing that anyone can throw at you that would you know, destroy you basically like you could be even if you're just kind of bad that's better than being an abysmal counter uh counterproductive failure at whatever like you should at least shore up your weaknesses so that nothing can destroy you how does that sound as Um, an approach yeah and instead of instead of it might be more convincing to, to me to say all right so you have a kid instead of the old person and your your job your parent or a teacher and they are uh shy and they don't necessarily want to be around a lot of people. But I, I could see what you're saying. It's like, well, look, I'm not asking you to be Mr. or Ms. Social over here, but like, we're going to push you. Like, you need to lean into like, you, you, being able to communicate with people effectively is just. Yeah, that's a, a skill. core we're skill. Not, like... Yeah, it's a core skill. So push that kid to. And, that, and I mean, I guess aspirationally education attempts to make you decent in all like intellectual domains and obviously just going to school is a necessarily social construct in which you um i mean this is where bullying comes in like it really is designed to say look you're misbehaving you're you're too weak in this area get it together right right um which is that's the utility of bullying which is a that phrase just seems like a controversial thing to say the utility of bullying but i think that like again that's just it exists for a purpose though saying you're you're misbehaving in our social norms let me thank you there are consequences to those yeah well i mean it's a fact that has to be acknowledged because whether you think that bullying goes too far sometimes which it certainly does of course or or, that's what even the word bully applies almost too far well but yeah i think you're right but i think that and i I could be wrong here since that you know i've been out of school for a while well i mean i guess i've been out of like in person, you know, like classroom style school for a while, yeah. like the modern interpretation of the word bullying it encompasses everything. It's so broad that poking fun, you know, at another classmate would be considered bullying, regardless of how innocuous, you know, it might be. Um, like if you if you insult a classmate, then it could be construed as bullying. All it takes is for, you know, one student to say, that was mean or hurtful or bullying. Only one person has to call it out, even if they weren't the target of the bullying. And, you know, it could get blown up into a big thing. Do you think that's, do you think that's true? Uh, yeah, I think, well, I think from an education standpoint, when you hear that bullying's happening, it's as, a, as the adults trying to care for kids, 
your job at that point is almost investigatory at least to say, all right, I'm, I, there's this accusation of bullying. I need to take care. I need to address this. This needs some form of addressing. And, uh, but what's, and different schools offer up different definitions. Like one, one definition I find interesting is repeated unwanted behavior. So the person has made it clear that they do not want that behavior to, because uh, you know that bullies always say their their cop out is I was just kidding or they they they're take, being too uptight or I was just playing I was just messing around right, it right. wasn't a big deal and so um, the I guess because that's so frequently the defense of the bully what you do is you have a definition that says well did they is it clear on some level that they don't like this like they're saying no or stop or they're getting worked up to some degree and that you are continuing to do it. And that I like that definition because it avoids like a kid makes one joke about with a friend or something and it hurts the friend's feelings. Like that doesn't seem like bullying. Or even if they don't like each other, one one moment, one bad moment in isolation, it's hard to like bullying seems active and uh, there's a maliciousness. Right, right. Despite your desires, I'm continuing forward and like gonna make you pay for whatever transgression I perceive. Um, so, so, and also another note too is, is that like, okay, well it's recess and what, what's the, I mean, I think you learn a lot at recess as a kid, you get to develop the games and you get to, there's conflict resolution that you have to, like, you're the kids, you, you get to develop the game, meaning you have to enforce the rules and you get to decide when someone's like, oh, that was out of bounds or, oh, that was a foul or whatever the thing is. Right. Like, it's really healthy for kids to have to. If a if a if an adult was to go micromanage each moment and weigh in every time, that's not healthy. And so, no, that's just another classroom. Yes, and 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 so and and in fact, in the classroom, myself, like I want when there's disagreement, there's an art to like. At what point do I like? And they're starting to get passionate in a disagreement. Like, okay, this is good. And I like that there's passion. Now we're edging into a little bit uncomfortable territory, and you know. This is where the art of teaching comes in, right? Like, when do you say, "All right, like I'm going to intervene," or, or you just went, you just crossed the line right there. Let's like call attention to that moment. That's where we could step across the line, um, and that could be different for different people. Um, and if if you are a kid raised in recess that has, you know, adults watching, teachers watching the whole time, and every little transgression that kids commit because they're committing them all the time, I imagine they're kids and you're fixing it for them, then when did they develop any, any right, conflict right. resolution skills? So like, it's weird to say that possibly a teacher should allow some bullying maybe. <laughs> like, well, I mean, like, you, you have to think about it this way too. Like the, one of the purposes of the classroom uh, is to prepare students for the real world. Uh, like it's a safe, controlled environment uh, in which you're kind of presenting a microcosm of everything they might encounter, right? Kind of. Yeah. Um, and That's so, the idea anyway. in the real world, there are bullies. I mean, there are mean, malicious people who will repeatedly do things you don't want to you. Uh, and there's not going to be a teacher around, you know, to tell them to stop. Like, there may be a time when there is no authority figure that you can easily appeal to, but you have to learn how to deal with that situation. Uh, you have to develop some resilience. And so if the classroom is supposed to be a microcosm of the real world, then you know you could say that you know bullying is an experience that 
everyone should have once or twice just so that they know what it feels like it's important to know what it feels like so you know not to behave that way and it's important to know what it feels like so you know how to deal with it right because i mean if you it's like if you run to hr uh, or that's the adult version of going and tattling right um that uh, first of all a kid should go tell an adult once it's crossed some line and once they're beyond uh, their capabilities of conflict resolution but it's important to take a note that they must it would be it's very healthy to try and resolve that conflict internally before going elsewhere mm-hmm. um, I mean I exercise this with students too like I have a student maybe they didn't do their homework and I pull them aside and have a conversation or eight second time like I don't go straight to their parents or to admin I mean we we have a system in place where you can report and send all this stuff but to me that's like going nuclear with it like no 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 let's let's if, if it's a kid who like just let them know I see this uh, this is the first time it's happening let's make sure it's not a pattern uh, yes there's going to be consequences but like I'm not running to your parents right now because I know that that means lost phone for them. It means uh, whatever. It can mean some punishments for them and and also escalation and, and introducing a lot of tension in our classroom dynamics possibly with resentment and that's just gonna yeah, uh, well, not and, be good for learning. And so. take it takes away agency from the kid. You know, if the kid can resolve yes. their own problems with you and their peers, then well, that's that's a that's an independence building situation even if they have a really unpleasant time about it it still helps them learn that they they have agency to deal with a difficult situation right right and so i mean i, I didn't mean to get we, we kind of went far down the the bullying path um i'm trying to <laughs> follow the train there because i wanted mm. to get to it was about focusing on strengths you know instead of weaknesses Mm. but you were pushing back about weakness sure right um and so so i kind of had a follow-up question like we want to self-evaluate accurately but are there are there times when when that's not the case like that to be to have a completely accurate perception um is not useful and it would be more harmful and is so essentially is there utility in self-deception or even self-delusion to some degree like and and when would that be Hmm. interesting question uh you know i would have to say that there is utility in self-deception sometimes well it also kind of means it depends on what self-deception is uh because that term is a little cloudy you know like you could ask uh is it even possible to self-deceive? Because, like, don't you know? Don't you know when you're lying to yourself? And if you know you're lying to yourself, is it really lying, or are you just behaving in a way that you know isn't right or isn't efficient or whatever? Um, yeah, we, we can don't you knowingly to, lie to yourself? Uh, I mean, we I don't. don't we don't have to get into the semantics of it because I think, you know, I think when you ask, is it is self-delusion? useful sometimes i think most people probably kind of know what you mean but still it's an interesting it's an interesting concept but but let's just let's let's put aside whether or not you know you're lying to yourself it's definitely true that people sometimes will tell themselves a lie and they'll act out 
something that's not true in order to you know attain some end uh, and your question is really is it is it ever useful to do that um, so one one thing that kind of springs to mind of when that might be useful is like if you have something really anxiety inducing or intimidating or momentous in front of you and you need to psych yourself up you need to like you know get hyped up and go ah, I can do this you know I can, I can do this and like really amp yourself up to, to do something that maybe it truly terrifies you uh, and you tell yourself you're not afraid and you're like, I'm not scared of this I'm not scared of geography and then you go and you do a geography question you know like you're lying to yourself because you're really terrified of geography um, <laughs> but, but but then I've you do it the right hump, the the uh, yeah and then I, once I was you able to engage because I because you lied, to, yourself. lied to myself yeah and and then once you know once you do it the hope is that you realize that you know you've you've become more capable and you really have no reason to be as scared of geography as you originally were does that seem like a valid uh a valid time to self-delude yeah. or is that is that kind of what you're talking about yes my thoughts go a bit differently and tend to be when working so so here's where my thoughts go when i hear about the utility of deception self-deception um the phrase like you can't please everybody like everybody's a critic kind of thing and so it tends to when you are working with a crowd i'm a teacher right i always have students and um even like classes that are amazing and awesome and i appreciate like you're just not going to get a hundred percent buy-in a hundred percent of the time so no matter what decision you make you are going to lose some of your i'll call them audience they're students but sure. i'd say this is true for comedians or any perform any performers of any kind like every decision um risks alienating some portion of your audience not only risks yeah. but will definitely um, i mean people are so varied and have different experiences and viewpoints and moods even you know all of that stuff attention spans yeah like all of that stuff varies even within a single person that stuff varies over time so certainly within a crowd of you know a couple dozen a couple hundred or a couple thousand you know you're gonna have variances in all of those groups and so, and I think about whether it's people famous on YouTube or whatever, like reading comments is probably just, I mean, that's such a black hole. Like I would just would not want to go there sure. because the self-doubt that could creep in and the affirmation, the weird mixture and our tendency to, this might f full circle back to like, in, like we can have a tendency to concentrate on shortcomings. You know, you, you see 10 comments that are praising and one says you're stupid or whatever and you mm. focus in on that. Uh, the sensitivity to the negative is almost like evolutionarily wired for safety, right? Like, mm. is this dangerous? Like, if something's good, it doesn't attract me as much because it doesn't risk my safety. Whereas something bad could spell out, you know, some criticism. Anyway, so all of this could be debilitating if I were to completely understand that one student who doesn't like me like like to me it's more useful again is this a lie or not or just to go yeah maybe they're not wild about me and i have to sort of paradoxically not care about that and then still care about the kid and provide success or, or opportunities for success for that kid but not care that they roll their eyes at the joke or that they just aren't into 
my vibe as a teacher. So I would have to pay attention if that one kid was more like seven or eight in my class. I think that'd be, uh, if I were to just carry on forward going, I'm doing great work here, screw all the students I have, they just are wrong. Like then I think that self-delusion is, we've crossed some line of like, I'm, I'm doing something that is uh, alienating a lot of my kids. If it's just that one or something, like I, I think there's utility in going, eh, I'm awesome. I'm not even going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep moving forward as if I'm a hundred percent awesome and not, and not actually self-evaluate and go, no, I'm only 86% awesome. So it's just better to simplify and go, nope, this is an awesome lesson or this is an awesome discussion or this is an awesome moment in class. And just to call it awesome and not qualify, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the delusion or the, the, the deception is not qualifying and just saying all in, that was great maybe yeah right yeah i can i see what you're saying um i I would still wonder like is that self-delusion i don't know that it is because yeah that's what i say is like well you can't please i have you know these platitudes can't please everybody i mean you can't Uh, please any you can't please everybody is that self-delusion i mean that seems no it, it doesn't sound like it it's just a i accept a certain degree of pushback uh and but i'm not going to engage in in this it's an excuse to not engage in the criticism though right well i think that maybe i think that the edge cases of the situation you're talking about definitely they can get into self-delusion so you pointed out one where you know if you had a big number of kids in your class who really thought you sucked and they weren't paying attention and they were critical and everything then and you continued despite that to say no I'm right. It's the kids who are wrong. Kind of like the uh, principal Skinner in the Simpsons who, you know, there's like, there's like a meme or whatever where he's like, is it me that's wrong? No, it's the kids who are wrong. Something like that. (laughs) Anyway, like that's, that's self delusion. If you persist despite overwhelming feedback um, and you tell yourself you're awesome, then, you know, that could be self delusion On, on the, on the flip side, if, you have nothing but positive feedback. Your kids are happy. No one is like trying to kill each other. They're all getting good grades. You know, you get a teacher of promise award. Uh, all of these good things happen to you, and yet you still like ragging on yourself and saying like, "Oh God, I suck at my job. Oh, I didn't get to the grades in time, and oh, I'm a terrible teacher." Uh, it, then that's you can kind of be delusional in that sense as well. Um, so yeah well and that seems almost certainly not useful when you are getting positive affirmations from externally and you're well you're saying and if you're sincerely saying it if you're not fishing there's fishing for compliments there's lots of other things reasons people might go oh i suck or something verbally but let's right. say let's take it at face value that they really believe themselves to suck that delusion is the worst kind yeah that that, that doesn't sound helpful so like, I guess, like, I guess I'm arguing more at the moment. I'm arguing for, like, just on the whole, it seems, I mean, I, I still tend to think that it's better to be accurate in your self-assessment rather than delude one way or the other. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't accuracy be better in, well, in most cases? Let's go to a classic example of raising a kid, and you the kids take a hell of amount of, like, time and energy and resources and i think you're like my kid's the best kid in the world and like they 
again, I'm going to say that this is self-delusion. Like, they know that their kid's not actually the best, but they emotionally might believe it. This kid really is the cutest. Oh, my God. Truly the empathy that my kid did when they handed me their leftover banana. Like, that, my kid's so selfless and amazing. So you inflate the importance you're, you're, you're at the borderline delusional that you're willing to sacrifice your, you know, everything for this, this kid that needs that and will benefit from that. And, like, that's delusional to think that your kids, I mean, how many world's greatest dad shirts and stuff, too, you know? And yeah, right. Mom, like, like, and, yeah, I, in, a, in a, an ideal world, they would have only sold one of those. <laughs> that would be it. Yeah. Yes. So not a very good market. <laughs> in an ideal world. <laughs> In an ideal world, only one person would have a world's greatest dad shirt. Yes. And maybe when they made a mistake, it would go yeah, to someone else. Yeah, they would have else. to, you know, give their shirt away. Uh, really funny. Um, <laughs> I used to be the world's greatest dad, and then I had to sell the shirt off my back. Something. But but there's okay. There's an absolute utility there in going. My kids worthy of this when really they're just like a blob of a. They're they're be- becoming a human and all of that. You know all the things we consider with like sophisticated morals and stuff. But they're just like. Well, I mean, this is philosophically debatable, but there are largely like these blank canvases that are like, getting instilled with a lot, right? And so, but you're already sold, like you're 100% sold of their value. And like, yeah, I do think humans are inherently value. I'm not making a case about that. I'm just saying that I I don't think strangers would feel the incredible amount of of connection that parents often do. And that's because of there's utility in them being connected. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. And I definitely think a lot of people have the behavior that you describe. But still, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that that there's a discrepancy in outcome between the parent who says, my kid is the best kid in the world and no one can tell me otherwise, which is what you describe and is, I think, self-delusion. And the parent who goes, like, my kid is just a kid He's really important to me because he's my kid, but, you know, like, is he the best kid in the world? Like, I mean, he's just one of, you know, almost 8 billion people out there. Like, it would be foolish to say that he's the best kid in the world. Now, is he the most important subjectively to me? Yes, but but that's, that's distinct from saying he's the best kid in the world. Like, that seems, the second parent seems to have an accurate, non-delusional view of his kid, and to me, it seems like he would be able to raise the kid just, you know, just as dutifully as the first parent who, who in fact, like that kind of delusion, you can imagine situations in which that delusion could get that parent in trouble. Like, you know, when the kid is at his little league baseball game and the other world's greatest dad on the other <laughs> little league team says, you know, like, oh, strike him out, little Billy, strike him out. This guy can't bat. And then, you know, Billy's dad is like, what are you talking about? My little Billy, he's the best batter on the field, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can, and they're both delusional little league dads or soccer moms yeah. or whatever the case is. And, you know, it gets them in trouble. Whereas the more, the more accurate parents, the more accurately assessing parents in the stands are all laughing at how crappy little league baseball players are. But, you know, they, <laughs> but they, but it's cute, but it's cute. and, you know, it's good for the kids to learn team building and get outside and run around and, blah, 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 and they're just having a good time. Like, that seems non-delusional. So uh, is, am I parodying things here, or do you yeah, think I got the seems, right of it? So, yeah, well, I guess I guess 
I guess you're right. I'm just trying to think if there is any utility in the delusion then, you know? And well, delusion's an intentionally provocative word. I sure. think that's clear. Um, well, what about this then? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know, we've heard arguments that we're not designed to actually be so interconnected. Like we were meant to be in almost tribal type small. So we could be the best runner, the best thinker. You could find your expertise within the hierarchies within your small culture and you could be near the top of that hierarchy and experience a lot of success right so then all of a sudden when we are global like the world is all interconnected uh it's so clear that you're not that talented even the the thing you're best at you might be 10 millionth right in that in that hierarchy because it's a global hierarchy now uh and that is um not really useful to to fully conceptualize precisely how good you are at something. It's better to inflate uh, and go. I'm I'm the best in on this corner or in this market or in this localized hierarchy, and I should feel good about that. So I'm not even like I'm just gonna go ahead and kind of internally proclaim like I'm this is my thing. I'm the best at it. Um, I get that your pushback is I think <laughs> it's gonna that, be the well, same, right? it's the same thing like yeah i don't know if we're just semantics but like what i'm saying though there maybe maybe it's not delusion but i do find it interesting that pure truth seeking isn't the most effective thing all the time like it's just not useful to go exactly where how good am i at this thing that might not be the best question yeah no i i agree with you there like learning exactly how many to the number humans are better at geography than you like isn't isn't useful first off no one can count that high so (laughs) like that's just going to be and you know there are going to be more people born in the intervening time before you can even figure out the answer and so your position is constantly going to be shifting um but anyway like yeah, it's not practical, it's not useful to know exactly where you fall, but to have a general idea, like again, I think there it's probably important to be accurate and not delusional and say, I'm the best in the world at so-and-so. Like, you're probably not, right? Like, you're probably yeah. not. But it, I think it, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, like even if you're a, you know, a world-class athlete or something like it's still i think edges into delusion territory to say you know i'm the best in the world although maybe you know maybe that's an instance where self-delusion is useful because you know if you say i'm the best boxer in the world and you truly are delusional then that might inspire other people who see your delusion to try to take you down and it fosters you know competition and and entertainment of course well yeah no actually it's quick uh like michael jordan i watched the documentary on netflix i forget what it's called it was awesome and like he really presented as a modern day warrior like the person who would be a warrior but we're not in warfare that way currently so it's you know takes place in athletics and on the on the court and so what he would do and he did this enough times that and confused enough other players that that is a funny pattern he would invent 
something that they said, that some trash talk that they said, <laughs> and he would actually go up to them and said, "I'm like, you know, I'm gonna make you pay for that, like on the court or whatever." He would start. Uh, he would develop this fictionalized narrative of them saying they were better than him or that they were gonna show him or oh. something, and then he would. And it, you know it would be one of their strong players, their A listers, their 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 awesome player, right. and he would just absolutely wreak havoc on them. And so he, and I find this fascinating. Like he would dominate them athletically by developing their attitude toward him, just fictionalizing it, and it was so useful for him. <laughs> yeah, that definitely seems like a useful situation of self delusion, right? Yes, because that is that's a that is absolute that goes into delusion, not just that is like that didn't happen. And and it would get weird. They would go, Wait, is he serious? Does he think I said that? You know? And he wasn't concerned with the truth there. I think he I think he did start to believe it, you know? Hmm. Like he might take a moment where they said, Yeah, I can't wait to it's it's crazy that I grew up watching Michael Jordan and now I get a chance to play him and he would you know and it was meant out of respect and he would turn it into something else and start these little I'm going to call them feuds but just to see that pattern emerge was like this guy like he needs to get up for things and he likes to this this helps him so he invents these stories hmm. so see that's kind of like getting amped up kind of like I said but in, yeah, in, a, t- yeah. in a different and pr- more delusional way in a sense because now you're you're totally fabricating things that didn't happen to and perhaps it really is when you're like arguably are the best uh if you can say that so um, l- let me ask another question then obviously um doing doing what michael jordan did uh on the, on the baseball field um to amp himself up uh to to you know bat harder than all of his opponents <laughs> <sighs> Um, uh, that was useful for him in terms of you know winning winning games and accumulating fame but winning a lot of champion bowls yeah winning a lot of champion bowls and manufacturing a lot of tennis shoes um that was very useful in that arena but but it you know his his relationships with other players suffered and you know, even, oh, he's a jerk. Like generally, that's an accepted thing. Like in order to be that level, you or the cost is this, and yeah, everything and, you're probably going to detail. Like, and you know, it's probably a hard case, a hard case for me to sell. But like now, you know, he doesn't play basketball professionally anymore. You know, like he's not on any NBA team, and you know, whatever. He's just he's a has been basketball player. He's a has been one of the greatest basketball players ever. <laughs> so weird to call ever. Michael Jordan has been. But, but he yeah. is. That's accurate, right? It Just accurate. don't delude yourself. It's accurate <laughs> to say Michael Jordan is a has-been. I mean, he has been, you know, arguably the best player, but he's not anymore. And now he's left with, you know, without being able to go out on the basketball court and stomp people, he's left with a, you know, a reputation as a jerk in many in many areas. Now, I know that's it's not a, an easy sell because he's also like, yeah, he can sit in his mansion with his millions and millions of dollars and be a jerk all he wants, and he's still a millionaire. So, you know, right. 
it's easy to make the case that it turned out useful for him ultimately. But it depends on your values, I guess. Like, you know, now that he's old and not playing anymore, is it more useful to have, you know, been a little bit better than normal in some of your games? Or, or is it better to have a reputation as a class act sportsman? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a cost there. Ultimately, for in his case, I'm gonna buy that it was worth it, you know. But like, but but I guess it isn't just. Are there no cost to self delusion? The answer is gonna be there are always costs to to ignoring reality. I it's just is there's almost a baked in cost, but right. is there utility? And that's yeah, that's so, more interesting end, I think. Yeah, and and utility. In, in order for something to have utility, you, you almost have to consider the time scale because, you know, there are things you could do that would be useful in the short term and detrimental in the long term. And, you know, in some cases, the short term is more important than the long term. Like if you have a limited time to live, you know, if you know that next week you're going to get hit by a bus or something, then, you know, it might, the, 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 the actions with the most utility might be things that are delusional um, in, in the short term. And it might actually be more worth it to to engage in short term gratification rather than long term. <coughs> like what are you what are you thinking specifically? No, I'm not thinking about anything specifically. I'm just saying that time scales are important to consider. I mean, with Michael Jordan, it was important for him to delude himself in the moment to win a basketball game and you know put off the potential long term consequences. I mean, an alternate reality could have played out where one of these other players said. I didn't say that. Like, I, I did not say that. In fact, you're slandering me by saying that. Sued him. And, you know, Michael Jordan could have been barred from the NBA or something. You know, obviously this is ridiculous. But, you know, depending on what was said and how it was said and how people reacted, like, that's an alternate reality that could have played out. And that could have been a situation in which Michael Jordan self-deluding himself. You know, self-deluding himself. Yeah. Self-deluding himself got, you know, went, went, went bad for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, I, and I think generally speaking, we err toward Air Jordan. Self- <laughs> E-R-R, E-R-R Jordan, Air Jordan. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I like that joke. <laughs> I like that you like it so much. <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, not surprisingly in our discussion, we are like, kind of championing truth here i just it's fun it's fun to sort of think about why we might not always want to do that um yeah oh yeah and I sure think about I sources mean, of anxiety for me i was wondering if any of that is like delusion in the bad way there's not even utility like i don't want to have anxiety you know sunday nights before teaching but like and 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 then a healthy dose perspective shift of truth of like it's it's hilarious to think that Daniel people are not thinking about Daniel to uh, like well, I hope he's gonna do great tomorrow like people aren't thinking <laughs> about me and like so oh, I wonder what stems. Daniel's lesson is gonna be tomorrow yeah, yeah like that's a hilarious thought like, they're just like whether it's students or, or admin or whatever like they're just like I'm just a part of a bigger machine that uh, and so that's actually comforting to me and so it's almost always perspective shifts toward truth well what's interesting is like but but my anxiety isn't necessarily uh rooted in some lack of truth it's just it's just bringing in truth or bringing in a different perspective helps 
delusion is bringing in a different perspective that might not it might not be real um right and that perspective could still have utility it's just it, it seems like it over time like you were saying it's going to have going to dry up like it it cannot be good to sustain visions that are at, or or ideas that are at odds with reality it just can't yeah, long-term play. Right. Yeah. And like I say, that's part of my core philosophy is that, you know, eventually reality is going to slap you in the face and make itself known. And that's very unpleasant. You know, if you were living in La La Land and you had a totally different idea of the way things were, and then reality slaps you in the face, that's extremely unpleasant. If you If you live in reality normally and you daily acquaint yourself with, you know, the goods and bads and your failings and your strengths and you have a good sense of where all of that stuff lies then when reality presents itself to you it's not a shock and you go oh yeah that's that's kind of what i thought and it's not that bad you can handle it but i mean if you if you're delusional then that can be a nasty surprise and and it's hard for me to like i'm struggling to think of situations where the both short-term and long-term self-delusion can can be all that helpful i mean i can think of plenty of short-term examples like you know there's there's a lot of social appeal um potentially in self-delusion like if you uh if you want to fit into a group and then you can get yourself in good graces with that group by deluding yourself that you agree with them or that you have the same interests or uh, or you could like okay the school you ha- or whatever whatever work environment you have it, it might be useful to say like this is a great school or great for me I'm using school but like elevate the reputation of the school and the the your colleagues you know sure right yeah um, and you, you know you could you know you could see a situation where yeah maybe the school is just whatever um, but you say. Yeah, I work for a great institution. Uh, you know, we're devoted to education and the well-being of our students. And my colleagues are all, you know, top intellectuals. They're all really bright and wonderful. And I, you know, I have a lot of pride to work where I work. And that, you know, that gives you some peace and it gives you a reason to get up in the morning and go in and teach with your head held high. And that seems kind of useful. Um, but, but if, if that's not accurate, if you believe that and the school really sucks and the principal is embezzling money and you know the kids standardized test scores are far below average and you know there's one teacher molesting the students and and, you know (laughs) things are going wrong in the school and here you are walking in with your head held high saying you know i work for a prestigious institution well you know you can imagine how that delusion might get cold water thrown on it at some point yeah and I wonder how much the cost is for that. Well, it could be it could be high, but but you know again I make you know I paint a really extreme picture. I, I, people delude themselves all the time in very minor ways, and reality does slap them in the face, but also in minor ways. You know, it's all proportional. Like, yeah. you know, when like you know you you may think that you're decent at something. And you're actually delusional to think that you're decent at something. And then when you actually try it, like, um, and you, you do really poorly at it, then 
you know, that slaps you in the face and you, oh, I guess I'm not as good as I thought I was. But, you know, if it was something like geography, again, like if you thought, obviously you didn't think you were that good at geography, which is good, it was accurate. But um, if you thought you were just okay at it, like maybe, what's something that you think you're okay at? Uh, <laughs> that's a... <laughs> Uh, spelling? Spelling. spelling. Average at spelling. Yeah, you're average at spelling. You're an English teacher, so, you know, you. it would be strange for you to think that you're less than average at spelling. But, you know, if I picked 10 words and got you to spell them and, you know, you missed a few of them, then it might, you might have a small shock and go, oh, I'm not, I guess I'm not quite as good at spelling as I thought I was. But that wouldn't destroy your self-confidence, your self-image, or you know, your career as a teacher because it's a small shock and it's probably a small delusion. Well, here's a closing thought for, for this whole this whole thing then. If, if you are going to embark on any field of study or just really if you embark on any path, like I'm going to, I'm a beginner and I would like to be an expert, you know, I'm a... It, an appropriate or a very, excuse me, a very accurate self-perception would be like how bad and how abysmal you are compared to the people who, who are on this path, like the experts and stuff. You would know precisely how poorly you are performing in this domain. And so that would that could be debilitating or like it could just be depressing and make you never want to begin a path. So I think there could be utility in, you know, you start it and you're maybe you're not... You're no expert. You have some idea that you're not an expert. You have some success, and and that little success makes you go, "Oh, I'm not half bad at this." But like reality would come in and go, "Naturally, you're still horrible. You think you're being, you're doing well, but you're so your path is so far, and it's so laborious to move forward. If you actually want to get good, that that could really deflate a lot of people. So I'm saying that that initial beginner experiences of success, like that's fine hold on to a little delusion think you're you know yeah, see the improvement is better than it actually is you're like, describing go, go have you heard of the dunning kruger effect the what dunning kruger effect oh yeah, yeah where you think you know a lot about right. something and then you yeah. realize you yeah that's basically right what as you're, you're learning about cars you're like oh i'm an expert on cars because i know more than automatic transmission manual yeah. transmission <laughs> i know both of those transmissions pistons so, yeah you know a uh, dual spark plug. exhaust Catalytic converter. Oil. <laughs> Dipstick. Wheels. Lug nuts. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> um, yeah, like that. You're basically describing the Dunning-Kruger effect. You know, the, if you've ever seen the graph, then it's like this big hill at the start and then a big dip when you realize you're not as smart as you thought you were and then a gradual ascent as you, you know, slowly gain real, real knowledge and one might say wisdom. Um, and a lot of right. people find themselves on the peak of that first hill. They think they know a lot about something, and you know they really just aren't. They're they're really delusional. That graph. What is that? The hill. Like, is it just like perception of of expertise? Like, yeah. what is it? Yeah, like okay. self perception um, of yeah expertise, knowledge, whatever. And how humbling it is. I mean, I had this, I played Clash Royale, and when I had played after a few months, and I was on, like, level, I mean, it won't make any sense to you or a lot of people, so I won't go far into it, but, like, I'd been playing for, like, six months. I understood the cards for a, a, the most part, and I was like, man, I'm good. Like, 
I just did not understand how far I had, you know, I just, I I was blind to so many of the moves that were being made. Like, Like you can't see it all on the board the way, like an untrained eye can't see what I'm seeing. And, and I even watch experts now and they're, they're able to predict the other cards of players based on one card. They'll be like, Oh, this is most likely a, Lava Hound Balloon, a Lava Loon deck, oh. you know, like stuff like that. It's just, Ugh, tough anyway, break. my point is, <laughs> yeah, the Dunning Kruger effect, like, is, but okay, what I'm, I guess I'm saying that it's useful. Um, uh, yeah, that's to, what you're trying to argue. It's, it's useful to be on top of that, that hill where you think you're really good at something, but, but I'm not convinced yet, so. Well, something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Yeah, maybe you can amp yourself up. Maybe you can use it for... I mean, I, I, I can see that it can be useful in short-term situations, and you may get lucky, and it may turn out that the short-term is all that matters to you, uh, you know, due to circumstance. Like, you know, maybe <clears throat> may, maybe at your job or something, you delude yourself into thinking you're the best, and you act that way, and you're a real jerk to your colleagues, um, and they all think you suck. But then the school goes out of business uh, and you transfer somewhere else. And so all of those bad repercussions, they, you know, you never experience them. You only get the positive and you never yeah. see the negatives. So it can be useful in those situations, but it, you have to get lucky for that. And if you take that attitude to your next place of work, you're probably going to pay the cost there. So, I guess in a very big way, though, I'm just saying, like, we need to believe that our existence is important. And... Uh, but can't and you accurately do that? I'd like to think so. I think there are a lot of nihilists or whoever would that would go like this is all meaningless. And if you take the biggest picture perception, that then it's all crap or <laughs> something like that. You know? Yeah, I mean, so obviously any, that's a any, that's a common yeah. viewpoint that you know you're, we're just a ball of meat floating through the universe and nothing third matters. Rock from the sun. Third yeah. rock, third earth. What from the sun? This crazy um, mixed up world. Yeah, people think that way, but I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's right. Like I think you can accurately assess your value, and even though you are one in eight billion per- currently, and one in you know uncountable billions, however many billions there have been over the span of history, like you, the the things you do here and now, they propagate forward. So you you influence other people. You influence the next generation, and that next generation influences the next generation. And even though you may have a small effect, you may not—it may not be as small as you think—and that carries forward, and it changes the future. Um, so. Wow, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go teach a class. Thank you yeah. for the delusional pep talk. You're probably the most <laughs> I mean, important person in the talk. world. You're probably the most important person <laughs> in the world. Uh, well, that's okay. actually a pretty good place to. To end. To end, yeah. So, the, yeah. The end. The end. Over. Over.